Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company, and he's Luke Morris, and... Uh, I'm dressed to go for a run. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine, who talk all things wine and booze, sometimes popular culture, think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. Hello, Campbell. What's... uh? What's planned for today? Well, hello to the listening audience, wherever you're listening from. This is Season 3, Episode 16, and have we got a show for you. Luke Morrison, this week's topic, in honour of you going to Queenstown very, very soon, I would like to discuss with you, actually, New Zealand Pinot Noir. Where and when was your last Pinot Noir? I'll be asking those questions a little bit later on in the episode. But... Also, we've got a really great question here, actually, from, uh, let me look it up, who wrote it? Steve from Yarraville writes in this week's listener question, is biopandemics just for hippies or is it real? Biodynamics. Good question, Steve. We'll answer that a little bit later on. Biodynamics. Exactly. And as always, and as part of every week, we always ask the first and most paramount question, burning question even, to Luke Morris, and we ask, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Um, uh, What's been happening? Oh, I've just reminded <laughs> myself, the Hottest 100, I've got to um, make that a thing. What week are we on? What episode are we? 16. Run 16. 16. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I should be able to get the... Um, uh, I've I've got to open up the the folder and download the 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 data and and check it for any uh, bumps in the road and uh, I'll email people and let them know that we're, we're releasing it. So I'll do that. That that will be happening. I'll try and do that like this week, and then we'll see we'll see how we go. We'll see if we can okay. um uh what can we do? We can potentially like I'll see who we see if there's any clear winner. Because I think we only got like twenty-two votes, so um, or people voting. Yeah. See if see if anybody if see if there's any like. What do you think would be a clear winner? Would it be like if somebody's if if one line has been voted for five times, would that be a clear win? Well, we've only got twenty. Did you say twenty or twenty-two entrants? So yeah, you'd probably need a. You'd need a clear winner. I reckon probably four or five votes for that wine is uh, is probably a clear winner. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Otherwise, we'll just have like popular wines. We'll, have the, we'll have the popular one hundred. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit Luke Morris. Ha. .com.au Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's LukeMorrisH.com.au L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au Have a great day. Well, there's there's plenty going on. There's plenty going on in this week's episodes, but in honour of that marathon and you heading towards uh, New Zealand, I my ears pricked up recently when somebody served me a bottle of New Zealand Pinot, and I'd forgotten just how much I love New Zealand Pinot. Oh, yeah. Um, and this particular this particular bottle was just so succulent and savoury. I just couldn't get enough of it. It didn't have the big 
you know, the big ripe fruits of some of the wines of the Yarra Valley or even, you know, Geelong and the Bellarine Peninsula, it was just black and dark and silky. And it was from Canterbury, which is at the top of the North Island, not a huge region, but, oh, my goodness, was it good. Um, so it was the Pyramid Valley Angel Flower Pinot Noir. So it is... Um, Oh, it was just beautifully floral and all these red fruits, cherry fruits, and just hints of, you know, drying tannin. And you just wanted more. And every glass had got better by better. Um, and then it just got me thinking, you're off to New Zealand. But where are you going? You're going You're going to Queenstown, aren't you? Yeah. That's it. I'm just going to go straight yeah. to Queenstown, just uh, uh, relax there for a couple of days, acclimatise, uh, run a silly uh, distance and then um, put my legs up for a couple of days and fly home. That's basically the trip. <laughs> Obviously, you'll be in the heart of central Otago wine country. Do you have any time to sneak out to a vineyard? Uh, there might be time. I don't know. See, yeah, I, I, to, be, to be honest, I haven't planned any sort of holiday kind of go off and do anything sort of thing because um, – there is just that laser focus of uh, of doing the run, making sure that I'm a fit and healthy enough to do the run, and then afterwards, um, we'll judge how the recovery period goes. I've been told all kinds of things like don't expect to move for a week, so <laughs> I don't know if I'll be fit and healthy enough to s drive a car out to a vineyard or anything like that. I might just be, you know, stable enough to. Um, uh, read a book. I'm going to take a couple of books. That's, that's a couple of books and sit by the lake is sort of my uh, post run plan. Yeah, good one. Uh, when, what was the last? Can you remember the last New Zealand Pinot you had? Crumbs. I had tasted some for work. I can't remember the last time I actually bought a bottle of New Zealand Pinot. It would have been years ago. The one that's jumping to mind is a Mount Difficulty. I think oh, I, yes. I yeah. found a Mount Difficulty at um, uh, uh, a, a conglomerate wine shop in uh, Chinatown in Melbourne, and took that across the street to have some um, to have some uh, duck and things like that. Um, that's a very good wine. I remember, I remember grabbing it off the shelf because uh, sometimes you find in those conglomerate wine shops people who uh, that they they struggle to sell the really good stuff because people don't go there to buy the really yeah. good stuff, so they have the really good stuff on discounts. And so I think I got it for like forty bucks or something like that, <laughs> and I thought that's too cheap. I'm I'm mad not to take that. And well, it was really, just a, nah. a good wine because it's like. Beg your pardon? Um, it, well, yeah, like, so you got it at a, a completely discounted rate, which is a winner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, that, um, good one. But what do you think is the difference? What's, what's, what, why New Zealand Pinot versus Australian Pinot? Oh, geez, it flourishes on the islands of New Zealand, like whether you're in Marlborough or um, Martinborough or Central Otago or Canterbury. I just think, you know, they grow it in, they generally grow it in smaller amounts. They just, it's, it's slightly cooler. Um, I think, you know, because you don't, you forget that like the first Pinot vines, the first vines were planted in New Zealand, you know, late 1800s. 
But New Zealand Pinot Noir really didn't find traction until a century later. Like, you know, like, and now it's, now it's on everybody's lips and it's hot. Like the stuff coming out of central Otago, it's incredibly expensive, you know, like, so, um, but you know, I, I love the wines out of Martinborough. Um, there's a couple of great producers in Gisborne, you know, there's some stonking stuff coming out of the Hawks Bay nowadays. Like, so it grows all up and down the archipelago, but, just, just phenomenal. This Pyramid Valley, it was outstanding. It was a 2019 vintage, and it just looked a picture. Um, but yeah, you could have. I'm sure people, listeners, will know the brands like you know, Craggy Range or Belton Road, or you mentioned Mount Difficulty. Uh, what's other Dry River? Yeah, uh, Palazzo. I mean, there's a stack of great, great Pinot producers out of New Zealand and you never think bar from in a bottle shop but just like this was um just it made me think twice about you know what I was drinking and also that I've got to go back and drink more more New Zealand Pinot yeah but what what do you think why do you think New Zealand Pinot has that a mystique or a quality versus Australian Pinot like is there is it because we're just we're so scattergunned and we've got things all over the country, whereas New Zealand really has a has a hat that wears Sap Blanc and wears Pinot and I you know, what else what else do you do you place on New Zealand's head for wine? Yeah. I, I really think and you, you you alluded to it there, I really think it's their, their focus, like their um you know that they weren't afraid to focus on it. Like, there's sure there's a diversity of regions and heaps of different climates and loads of different soils. Snorfest, basically, <laughs> I think New Zealand just decided to hat on it. <laughs> New Zealand just decided to hang their hat on it and, and focus it. And you know, I think their industry is it, it's paying off. Oh, that's interesting. Do, do you think that's been climate led or do you think that is some sort of marketing branding or maybe that's just the reputation maybe that's the same sort of thing in australia every, every region in australia plants shiraz even though you could quite easily say that not every um region in australia is really suited to shiraz but yep. it's, it's become the icon and as as a result that's why australians plant so much shiraz and has shiraz known throughout the world whereas i know I, I oddly i think a lot of new zealand seems to be well suited to pinot because all the regions you've named they're scattered across the country but they're they all produce good pinot it's interesting oh yeah they do. and you know like whether it's you know violets or undergrowth or spice cherries you're looking for it's it, it just or sinewy tannins. This this Canterbury drink just had these sinewy tannins, Murray, that just were lip smacking. You just wanted to go back, and I would have loved to have seen it in a, a cellar. And that's the other thing, right? So these wines, they age, you know, like seven, nine, twelve years, no problems at all. Um, and there's, I reckon, in Australia, uh, th those pinots that are built to age are kind of fewer and far between that that might be argumentative but i don't know just just the brands that i was thinking about the brands that i named earlier these wines will age but i don't know if i could reel off the same amount of 
you know, mid-tier Pinot Noirs in Australia that will age, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't oh, yeah. have been able to do the pub. When you when you're naming a few wineries, I was just like, "Yeah, those are all great." Oh, but what's the Australian number of equivalents to it? Like, who produces great Pinot in Australia? You're looking at at that cost, thirty-five, yeah. forty bucks. Um, thirty-five, forty bucks. You know, like I, I reckon it's tough. Is it much? T- is there much? At, with that price point, is there much tax that the in, there's a lot of import tax in, in, in Australian wines? I mean, why can't we compete, even though? Uh, that's a very good question. I don't, I don't know where the tax is, is coming out of New Zealand. Yeah. I uh, it just makes it, idea. You, you just think that Australians should have the competitive advantage in that price point because they're local, but even then, like the quality is still higher. With the other costs, yeah, yeah, I I think so. I mean, it, once you get to like Michael Dillon at Bindi, uh, Matt Bindi. Forbes, uh, Gary Farr type stuff, like you know, they're they're all in that sixty five to seventy range. But I'm talking about the rung just below that, um, and I I think the options are few and far between for that forty. $40 mark, $45 mark. I know, I know the focus is on New Zealand, but what would you say is Australia's best Pinot region? Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a bit well, odd. It's not like we, like New Zealand where you can name so many that are great. You can't, like, you know, I couldn't really say that oh, it's, look- it's definitely Yarrow, it's definitely Mornington, definitely Geelong. Can't think of anywhere in South Australia that I'd really say has great Pinot. There's a couple of good oh, producers yeah, in WA. Oh, yeah, Adelaide Hill is okay. But it, yeah. I wouldn't say they produce as much stuff as Geelong. There's a few in Tasmania. Yeah, T- Tassie, Tassie's the obvious. Tassie's going off right now. Yeah. It's interesting. But yeah. I think it is interesting. It is uh, definitely a... Um, yeah, just just one to watch out for. You can drink Pinot in the warmer warmer part of the year as well. But just yeah, just look look out. Re- reach for a New Zealand Pinot next time and uh, see what you can find. I reckon you can find some great value because these wines are just hitting their stride. I reckon. <laughs> there you go, New Zealand. You're just getting good. <laughs> Escarpment. Escarpment was the other one that I. Ah. I loved from Martinborough. Um, is what's his awesome name still in, still in charge of escarpment? Just retired this year, Larry. Hmm. Larry. He's McKenna. Just uh, the glorious Tim Bourne who has taken over a young Kiwi fellow who's had a great experience across uh, Australia and New Zealand. Actually, um, and he's worked overseas. Tim Bourne's taken over, and the wines are looking stunning. Good stuff. No, yeah, escarpment. You know, it's, it's 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 cool when you've got wines have got that heritage of not just vineyard but winemaking practices and philosophy that you can still make good wines when the um when the lead winemaker moves on. Because often, you know, 
there's a lot of questions about whether or not it's the winemaker or the winery or, or the vineyard or what's stamping the biggest thumbprint. And yes. It's, uh, it's it's nice that it's um that the, the, the I don't know I don't know what it is but when it can continue the magic continues that's good. Well, I think it's the fruit, Luke. It's the fruit. It's just the fruit. Yep. You can stuff up good fruit, mate. I've been there, done that. <laughs> true. <laughs> true. 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 Hey, speaking of fruit, what about this uh-huh. week's question? Steve, Stephen Yarraville writes, is biodynamics just for hippies or is it real? It's an interesting question, biodynamics, because there's so much within biodynamics that's, that just to me seems bollocks. And then but underpinning it is really, like, good stuff. Like, yeah. there's a lot of really smart, um, just good Plain looking after the looking after vineyard or farmland, really just looking after farmland practices. But then there's a whole side of it. I think I'm trying to remember, but I think part of the part of it is uh, picking and doing things to against the phases of the moon because they're worried about the gravitational pull of the moon on liquid in grapes, and I think that side of things just stretching it a bit too far. But um, the, yeah. the under, underpinning the most of it is um, it's just good, good practices, good farming practices. So it's like a, it, that that sort of thing just makes sense regardless. So, so I, I started to drill down on this, look, looking for uh, when we received the the letter. I was looking for the the definition, like. First yeah. and foremost, biodynamics just biodynamics just doesn't concern wine. It concerns, you know, whether you're gardening or whether you're producing food or you know, can, it can pertain to just about anything these days. But the the best description that I liked was biodynamics is a spiritual, ethical, ecological approach to agriculture, gardening, food production, and nutrition. Yeah. Biodynamic wine is made up of a set of farming practices that views the farm and the vineyard as a solid organism. Yeah, so it's, it's taking into account the whole thing. Yeah, th- exactly. Yeah. The idea is to create, you know, a, a self-sustaining system. So what you take out of the earth, you put back in, uh, whether it's soils or whether you, you, you compost it or... You, you know the the chemical fertilizers and and uh, pesticides they're all forbidden so they're they're out yep. uh, and because they believe biodynamicists believes that they stave off the fertility of the soil so they get rid of that and they basically create this kind of rich fertile environment for the vines to grow in. Well, see that's the fun that's the fun thing about it. So it 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 does lean with a whole this sort of mystical and and what did the question say hippie sort of approach to uh everything works in harmony and all this sort of all the words sound like lovey dovey mystic kind of things but then a lot of it what's underpinning it is just good clean farming practices 
and that's that's fine. I think I think a lot of people who follow biodynamics aren't really that into the the, the spiritual side of the the philosophy. They're just really into the um, natural manures and all those sorts of fertilization processes. Yep. And it is these the the farming practices from just pruning to harvesting as biodynamicists they break them down into four kinds of days. Um, what are they? Uh, flower, fruit, root, and leaf days. And each of the days have certain tasks associated with them that are reflective of the classical elements of the earth. And as you say, they're a bit sense and sensitivities like um but yeah like fruit days are meant for harvesting leaf days for watering root days for pruning and then on the flower days the vineyards just left alone and whatever you take as far as canopy management or soil improvement whatever you take out of the vineyard you then put back in to fertilizing and things like that and yeah as you say it's done on the cycles of the moon it's not it's not for everybody but I don't think it's just for hippies either, Steve. I, I think there is a real yeah. philosophy um, and there has been some real benefits cited by biodynamics. Yeah, I've, I've heard some wineries. The, the, the annoying thing with this stuff is always certification because yeah. there's all these processes and problems and things like that. But I've heard some uh, wineries and viticulturalists refer to the fact that they you know they basically use biodynamic practices they just don't go through all the certification and then do all the little ticks and things but a lot of it's probably a, a fact that a lot of wineries do a lot of a lot of vineyards are biodynamic they just don't necessarily tick the box no nah. No, as you say, it's often expensive. It certainly is in this country. The question that we always get asked or raised is, um, and it's kind of a subjective, it's it, it, what what does it taste like? What does biodynamic wine taste oh, yeah. like? Well, you know, it's it's such a subjective question. It, it's generally no, but it's nearly impossible to taste if a blind wine, uh, to taste a blind wine and deduce if it's been biodynamically farmed or not. Like, um yeah. So, so have you have you have you done that? Have you have you sat bottle side by side and 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 tried to identify? Oh, look, I've done. Uh, yeah, yes, I have done that, and it's generally with one winery that would say, "Oh, this year, you know, you, you'd taste them all, and you'd get to wine number four, and you think, gee, that's really fresh and vibrant.'" And you know, the winemaker will say, "Oh, well, actually, that was the year." We, we went to organic farming or that was the year we became biodynamic or so yeah I, I've done, not intentionally but oh so uh, you can you, you can sort of see a freshness to the wine well in in some cases yeah absolutely um but I don't think I don't it's so subjective right like you and I might be doing the same toast tasting Mori but you might not see it and we're not, we might not know. We're looking for biodynamics, but I might see a certain freshness and you may not. You know, I think it's very yeah. And ha however many winemakers who farm biodynamic fruit, like it's, I, I think they're looking, they're not necessarily looking for a fresher wine. They're looking for this holistic package. They're looking to leave the land they're on better than what they started. They're looking to 
have better yields. They're looking to have, um, you know, juicier bunches. I, I think there's a whole matter of things that they're looking for. They're not just looking for a fresher wine. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I think people are looking for that. Simple, I want to say simpler approach to the vineyard because if you're not using like you said a lot of what it, what it is is about what you take out you put back in and so there is a, a process of trying to treat the land a bit more long term and, and, and feeding it with an eye to 10 years time not just next next harvest and yeah, so there's there's a lot of that's a lot of why people move towards biodynamics. But yeah, no, I think it's here to stay. I can't think of too many wineries that are biodynamic, to be honest with you, though that that are you know in the top echelon of Australian wines. I think Cullen, Cullen, is. Jasper Hill is another one. Jasper Hill is yes. Uh, yeah, they're they're two that um, spring to my mind. But I mean, there's only. Uh, I think at last count, I did look this up earlier in the year for another project I was working on, and I think it was about was a was about eleven hundred certified wineries worldwide, um, which just goes to show how expensive it is to be certified. A lot of them were big, uh, big producers, um, but I mean, then then you've got you know smaller producers as well. Uh, but 1,100 is not, in the scheme of things, is, is not that many. No, it doesn't sound that many worldwide. I thought you were going to say in Australia, but yeah. no. Oh, in, in Australia, there's like, it's under a dozen, Murray. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Crumbs. I'm, I'm actually going to look that up. That's going to be my homework for next week. Remind me of next week's show, and I'm going to look that up because that is pertinent to this discussion, and I haven't looked it up for a while, but I'm going to, I'm writing myself a note. I've got some homework. Oh, I've got, I've, you've got homework. I've got Google. I'm just going to type in biodynamic. While you're doing that, binaries, yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll tell the people how they can get involved. If you want to get in told, uh, if you want to get told what the best wines are, where to buy the best wines, and how to drink the best wines, get involved here at Luke's Talk Wine. You can send us an email by by that very Googleator that Maury's now using. And you can send it to us at lukestalkwine at gmail.com or you can get in touch via the socials, Luke Talk Wine on Instagram. He's Luke Morris. He comes to you uh, from all over the world generally. <laughs> Find him on the socials. Look him up. Give him a poke or whatever you do these days. And then, uh, or me. Don't, can... don't poke me. Isn't that Sensitive what to the touch. <laughs> or you can do find me at vinified underscore wine underscore services, which is my day job. Um, but we are there. What are your results, Murray? Uh, uh, Koleski's got some. Uh, uh, the interesting thing, I'm just looking at this. Paxton has some. Serene, Serene has some. Just looking at this, I'm just wondering how many of these wineries are full, like their whole vineyard is organic because these looks like these look like um, you know vineyard single vineyard sort of things. Yeah, they might be buying some fruit. Stefano Libiana. So there's a few names there. Yeah. Okay. Engo. I don't. I, I doubt Engo's full 
a state, so all biodynamic. I, I don't imagine that this is just a single vineyard sort of thing, but there's a there's a few in there. This I'm just yeah. looking at a um at a cellar, but yeah, it, there's not a definitive list. I couldn't find a definitive list. Sorry, dear listeners, I couldn't find a definitive list. Oh, I'll, I'll do some further investigation. One other thing we should manage uh, manage to mention before we move on. Is, is biodynamic wine and organic wine the same thing? It actually isn't, so there's a firm no. They are similar in a sense. They both incorporate practices without uh, chemical use. However, it's a bit... Uh, organic wine is produced solely with organic grapes. Biodynamic farming takes all these other factors into account when producing wines such as the lunar calendar, such as astrology. So biodynamics is a holistic approach. Organic is literally the production of the organic grapes, um, whereas biodynamics, the farming, is more about the yeah, holistic, the entire lifeblood of the vineyard, the other plants, animals, mm. insects, not just the grapes. So just a bit of a, a, a side note in relation to organics and it's, biodynamics. It's probably also worth mentioning uh, a lot of people are, are attracted to those um, those those wines because of a belief that they'll have less sulfur in them. Um, from memory, uh, the biodynamic uh, you can add sulfur because sulfur is a natural element. It's not a a synthesized created product. It's a natural element. So I think in um, yeah wine making. And in the vineyard, you can use sulfur for both biodynamic and organic mm, yeah. practices. So, myth busted. Busted. Uh, right you are. So, Luke Morris, Mori, as I referred to you, what have you been <laughs> What have I been drinking? I actually, so on the weekend, we had the uh, Bendigo Blues and Roots Festival in Bendigo. So, I, 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 I ran around town. Yeah. And uh, sat in at a couple of venues, sat in the sun. It was lovely. You know, it stopped raining for a, a short period. And um, uh, one st spot, I thought, I'll have a glass of wine here. I'll have a glass. I'll, I'll, I'll. And I had a glass, went to, went to the counter, had a look, and I had New Zealand Sap Blanc. And I thought, it's been a long time since I've had New Zealand Sap Blanc. I can't remember the last time I purchased a bottle. It was probably... You know, a dog point like five years ago or something. I'll I'll have a glass of New Zealand Sav Blanc. Of it feels like a, a lovely summery spring kind of day. That sounds like a Sav Blanc kind of thing. And um, yeah, I had a glass of New Zealand Sav Blanc. What listening to some blues and roots music in a in a lovely little courtyard. It was, it was the ambience was good. I then realised that I. All the reasons why I don't like New Zealand Sav Blanc, but that was fine. Uh, that's on me. Fantastic. Yeah, well, it's, sometimes you got to revisit these things. I, I think, you know, the, the, the French of, you know, the, the stuff coming out of the Loire now is not only inexpensive, it's also gone up in quality. So there's some great Sauvignon Blancs out there. You don't have to drink too much New Zealand Sauvignon. I think New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc has its place. Um, but yeah, for a while there, they destroyed Sauvignon Blanc for me as well. But um, I'm back on board. Uh, I don't yeah. 
deal with it. But, um, yeah, I, a great expression of Sauvignon Blanc from the chalky soils of Chavignol in uh, the Loire Valley are exquisite. Oh, look, one of the best wines I've ever had is a Dagenau. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just insanely good. And that's the Sauvignon Blanc, but it was, you know, the polar opposite to this um, uh, acid rush goose, gooseberry cat piss. And to, to be honest, that's, you know, a proper tasting note, cat piss, uh, smelling Sauvignon Blanc that I had on the weekend. But um, uh, Dagenau, gosh, that, that oh. R.I.P. What a what a great wine, great winemaker. His son, his son makes the wine now. Hmm. Have, have you had any? Yeah, I've been fortunate to visit that winery. I actually attended Didier Dagenau's winery when he was still alive. Actually, I oh wow! Pleasure of meeting the great man and his son, for that matter. Um, yeah, it was a pretty spectacular visit. It was a um, yeah, maybe for another day. What wineries have you visited? It was. Um, Oh quite, yeah, I'd rather know. What's what's the experience of Yeah, it was just serene. We just tasted in the cellar and it was like it was like um Yeah, I remember it because it was kind of like that Tom Perignon quote, you know, I've I've tasted the stars. It was really amazing. Didier Dagenau, for those listeners who, who haven't heard of Didier Dagenau or whatever, he was this cult winemaker, funnily, cult biodynamicist in the Loire Valley, making these stunning barrel-aged Sauvignon Blanc. Still does. His son, uh, t- t- uh, what's his son's name? Is it Thierry Dagenau? I could have that wrong. Anyway, his son's making the one now and, um, yeah, make just stunning examples and doing things a little bit differently, i.e. he's doing biodynamics. He's using uh, lots of oak at different points and steel for that matter. But, yeah, we tasted in the cellar door. It was one of the cleanest wineries I've been in. It was one of the... First times out. I would have thought it'd be a bit more rustic. Yeah, was that that? It was just everything was uh, like it was like the world. The world's axis just turned a little bit that day. Everything was a little bit off. Like you know, you would expect it, the winery to be really dirty and unclean. It wasn't. It was clean. You would have expected to be visiting what was like a, a farm. This was quite particularly a, a very sharp operation. Like. And then yeah. you would ex- expect, uh, you know, this uh, massive, you know, guy in a suit to come out. You know, he was a big, hairy, you know, uh, gruff-looking guy, but so personable. Yeah, it was just. And then the wines. I mean, oh, the- he was wearing a suit. No, he wasn't wearing a suit. You would expect. Oh, him to, but, um, oh no. no, I wouldn't. No, no, that's the last thing I expected. Here, digging digging that was like, you know, again for the listen to the wild man of Loire. But to have a, 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 you know, quite a polished operation, I suppose maybe that's just, you know, that's, that's, someone once told me that good wine making is 99% cleaning. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. But did you, you know, look them up if you can find it. Per Seng, Boisson Renard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, Beautiful stuff. What, what have you been inviting? Uh, I have been getting in on the champagne uh, trail, and I think I might have mentioned this um, recently. The champagne La Corte uh, God Bouillon, the Rose Premier Cru. Well, I had another bottle of it just recently. Um, we've got it on our site. It's part of our Grower Champagne Christmas offer. It's absolutely outstanding. Um, yeah, it's uh, $130 odd dollars a bottle, but uh, for a celebration, which we had recently, it is just beautiful, just superb. 
yeah, just powerful balance and red fruits and pastry on the nose. Just lovely. I think I spoke to the listeners a couple of weeks ago to this wine when I just tasted it. Well, I had a bottle over the weekend and, oh, my goodness, this is just vinous and nervy and complex. It was just, if you love a rosé champagne, listeners, get on board. That's on your website, is it? It is. You can log on to our site uh, in the shop there, vinified.com.au, and 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 go your hardest if you're having a celebration, but uh, all strawberry tarts and pastry. You'll love it. Sounds good. Uh, listen, thanks for listening, uh, and thanks for being part of Luke's Talk Wine. It's been another fabulous week here in Luke's Talk Wine. We'll be back next week. I'll be back. You'll be back, Murray. Next week. Next week, I'll, I'll still be in Australia. So, yes, I'll be back. Excellent news. Well, in we wish you the best of the imbibing this <laughs> week. Um, in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Ciao. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au